Hi, guys, and welcome to the podcast. Uh, this is going to be the second episode of the Improving Always podcast. Last week, we talked about uh, individual technical training. Obviously, we went on off on a couple different tangents. Um, today, we're going to talk about resistance training, specifically for soccer football players, um, you know, what you should be doing, how you should be doing it, how you should approach this kind of training, and uh, probably most importantly, why you should be doing it. Um, because I know there are uh, a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of confusion over whether resistance training will make you a better athlete or not. Um, obviously, all of us, uh, I'm sure, will disagree at times um, on this podcast. But in general, all of us are in favor of resistance training um, and think it can be very, very beneficial. Um, so, yeah, let's hop right in. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll start us off, um, just by saying that basically, uh, for me, there, there are so many benefits to resistance training. Um, but, uh, you can probably separate them into three, at least three main categories. Um, and those three main categories are, and in my opinion, this is in uh, order of importance. Number one, reduced injury rates from resistance training two performance benefits, um, and three mental, uh, benefits. So most of the benefits we'll talk about will fall into those three categories. There's a chance that some fall outside of that. Um, but yeah, those are the three main areas. So I think let's start, uh, just by talking a little bit about, um, you know, the reduction in injury rates and why that is important. Yes. Um, Probably the main reason athletes do resistance training period would be the injury reduction rates. Um, with the scientific literature, we've seen that resistance training has decreased injuries in pretty much all populations. And that includes athletes all the way to the elderly. And the main reason to this is a lot of people, one of the common criticisms of resistance training, especially in the bodybuilding category is that it's all about muscles. It's all about show muscles like your biceps and all this stuff. However, resistance training will cause physiological adaptations to not only your muscles, but your connective tissues and your bones, and it will increase bone mineral density and bone mineral density increasing will make it harder for you to break a bone. And when we're playing sports, for example, I mean, you're applying hundreds of pounds of force into your legs into the ground at times. And if your bones are more dense, they're less likely to break. Not to mention, there's tons of research showing that resistance training can decrease all-cause mortality rates and much, much more. Yeah, so um, there's a, I know there's this idea that resistance training will cause you to get injured. Um, but when you actually look at injury rates in different sports, um, sports, so obviously bodybuilding isn't um, always considered a sport. So I've struggled to find information on that, but I would assume that injury rates in bodybuilding probably wouldn't be higher than in weightlifting or powerlifting. If I had to guess, I'd say they'd be lower. Uh, I could be wrong on that. Um, but still weightlifting and powerlifting are two of the safest sports that you can do. Yes, um, sir. Once you get on the field, you introduce so many different factors 
other players, you know, tackling you, um, you know, you're, you're running around on a field. You're not, you know, just standing in place, obviously, you know, weightlifting and powerlifting. Uh, I respect athletes who, um, you know, are involved in those sports and it, I'm not saying it's easy, but it is safer than playing a field sport. Um, as far as injury rates go. Um, and even though, um, I've heard this argument come up sometimes, um, but you still could get injured. Yes, you could get injured. You could get injured walking down your steps. You could get injured, you know, on like riding a bike. Like, are you just never going to do anything in life because this is like a non-zero chance you could get injured and the benefits of resistance training outweigh those injury risks. So if you resistance train, you will, even though you're like doing some extra work and there's, you know, a tiny chance that you could pick up an injury, um, there's balance that with the reduced injury rates that you have from doing resistance training when you're on the field. So if you're in the gym or doing resistance training at home, um, you like, there is not a single study showing that that will increase your injury rate or injury risk when you go to play soccer. And every single study I have seen has shown a marked reduction in injury rates, uh, even from just a small amount of, uh, of resistance training. And, you know, like Noblet said, that's, um, you know, increased bone mineral density, um, strength of your, you know, ligaments and tendons, um, uh, ability to handle, you know, more stress on your body. All of these things go into it. Um, and, but you know, you don't even need to understand exactly, you know, the mechanics of how it works. If you just see that in every study that soccer players have put through a resistance training program, they get injured less that like, that's enough. That's enough for me. (laughs) I mean, isn't soccer, it's like the most dangerous sport it's like up by there. far to get a serious injury like percentage wise i'm pretty sure i read um so what are there are no risks basically you might as well lift yeah for sure um and uh so one, one thing i want to bring up just you know at the at the beginning of the podcast i know whenever i talk about this stuff uh people always ask what's resistance training why are you saying resistance mm-hmm. training um and the the main thing for me is that um i like going to the gym i have a i have a home gym i have a uh squat racks and barbells and plates and uh, and some dumbbells and stuff you don't need that to strength train it's great and i think it helps and it doesn't make things less safe uh but you don't need that. You can do resistance training, uh, which is why I don't call it weight training at home with practically no equipment. You can also use things like, uh, you know, bands, um, for resistance. I did all quarantine baby. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, and I know that a lot of people who, you know, uh, follow us or, you know, listen to this podcast are maybe not going to have access to a gym, especially, uh, at this time where, you know, this, this still, uh, I know there are still people who are in quarantine, still people who, who are in lockdowns. Um, so don't use, Oh, I can't go to the gym as an excuse. It's not an excuse. I have gone through, you know, long periods of time, uh, where I didn't touch a weight 
but I still managed to get stronger. I was still resistance training. Um, there are no excuses. You can do this stuff at home. You need to be a little bit more creative, but you can uh, definitely, definitely do it. Uh, anything else to add on the uh, you know reduced uh, injury rates side of things? Um, I mean, the only thing I'd have to add about the reduced injury rates is a very simple thought. Um, for example, I can squat 500 pounds. What would happen if the average person put 500 pounds on their back? What do you think would happen to them? They break in half. <laughs> yeah, they'd get stapled to the floor. But I stand they, they back up. They do it easily. So <laughs> you and me, Dimitri. But you know. I mean, it's really that simple. I mean, the idea that this makes you more likely to get injured outside of it when you can withstand these types of forces, it's just, it's kind of nonsensical in my opinion. If you can withstand those types of forces when weightlifting, you're going to withstand those types of forces, whether it's on a soccer field or in a car crash. Even. And that's the way it works. I do want to touch one thing on the equipment issue. I think there is a valid argument of what's optimal and what could be effective. I think for very obvious reasons, there's a reason most professional clubs, when they have their players doing strength and conditioning, have a full gym, have access to barbells, dumbbells, machines, all the crazy yeah. machines and bands and everything. And a lot of us don't have access to that. Cristo and I are lucky. I have a dungeon with a squat rack. But I also have limited equipment. Like I don't have a place where I can even do, for example, bench press if I wanted. I can't do bench press at home, which is perfectly fine because I hate bench press. But <laughs> there are limitations. Um, I would say with bodyweight exercises, I mean, for soccer players in particular, we're mostly concerned with our lower body strength. And while I definitely think you can make lower body strength and power gains what you're, what you're talking about over there <laughs> <laughs> and make lower you don't want to see my bicep in comparison but to make lower body strength and gains you're gonna have to be either very creative with things like pistol squats or high step ups but you're not going to be able to replicate squatting hundreds of pounds or even doing Romanian deadlifts with hundreds of pounds or anything like that. Eventually, there is a point of diminishing returns with bodyweight training, in my opinion. However, if that's your start, go for it. Yeah, I think like um, obviously, you know, uh, we talked about this last week, like there are probably optimal things to do, but the most important thing is to do something. Um, and, um, obviously, you know, if you're at the point where you can't, uh, progress much more with just body weight training, you've done all right. Uh, and then, you know, you can figure things out from there, but you've already come further than most players will ever come. Uh, so you know, just uh, super important. And just one thing more um, before we, you know, oh. leave that. Oh, yeah, go ahead, D. Well, no, just one thing I want to note. A lot of people with like body weight training, it's sometimes it's tough to progress, you know, because you can do like, say you want to do like upper body, you're doing push-ups and stuff. And you get to the point where you're doing normal push-ups very well. You're like cranking out 50, like 70, 100, uh, whatever. And then you switch to a different type of pull-up and your uh, push-up and you're calling it a progression, it's so different because all these push-ups, you're actually working like different muscles most of the time. You know, if you go from normal to diamond or you do all these things, 
So it's not necessarily like a linear progression if you're switching styles. So you got to be careful with that too. Yeah. And, you know, it takes a lot of creativity to uh, like, eventually, you know, you're, you're going to run out of things you can do. Um, But again, like once you've gotten to that point, um, first off, well done, then we can figure out what to do next. Um, whether that's getting access to a gym or finding a way to get some equipment in at home. Uh, but if you've gotten to that point, well done. Um, one more thing I want to say before we move on a little bit from injury rates, I'm sure we'll come back to it uh, throughout the podcast, but I see this idea sometimes that you can eliminate your injury risk. This is just not true. Anyone telling you that you, uh, if you follow a certain program or do what they tell you to do, you will not get injured is lying to you um, or a wizard. Yeah. Or, or they're a wizard. Yeah. Um, injuries happen. And this is both contact injuries and non-contact injuries. When you're running on a soccer field uh, you know, there are other players there. Like I talked about before, there are just so many variables um, going on in these situations uh, that you can't control them all. Uh, so in- injuries happen. I mean, I tore my Achilles um, with no players within, you know, 10 feet of me. Uh, it was just a, a, a bad step. Um, and you know, things happen and other I'm athletes have walk, suffered. <laughs> I know other athletes have suffered, you know, similar injuries. It's just not, it's not just contact injuries, um, that, you know, that happen injuries happen. The best you can do is reduce your risk of getting injured. Um, and that's all you can do. And we'll do another episode at some point talking about um, injuries specifically, uh, you know, how to reduce your risk, but then also um, what to do when you are injured, because every athlete who's played at a good level will go through a period of time where they cannot play. Um, we should especially play if you're pushing bingo. it. Especially if you're pushing it hard. Um, I've never seen athletes that actually push the boundaries of their actual like abilities that never pick up some sort of injury. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it, unfortunately. Yep, definitely. Uh, One thing Um, I'd like to add, sorry, before we move on is this is my opinion. I'm not sure if you guys can relate to this, but I would say that with body weight training, um, if you can't handle your body weight, whether that's like you can't do five proper squats with your body weight or like five to 10 push-ups with your body weight or like two pull-ups with your body, body weight, I would recommend to start mastering those movements, like be able to do 20 push-ups, maybe like 10 pull-ups and maybe 10 squats before actually doing it with a bar on your back with weights or like doing a bench press with weights. Yeah, I mean, like if you can't squat five times your body weight, you have no business putting a bar on your back and you like often, uh, when I start with athletes, um, you know, it's a lot of body weight stuff. And then we add weights in. I know, I remember, uh, Noblet posted a, a video about why pushups are better than, uh, than bench press. So I'm sure he'd, uh, he'd agree with you on, uh, to be um, fair, those are weighted well. pushups. Yeah, true. But I mean, you have to you have to be able to do pushups without weight to then put weight on, um, right? I mean, I think there's actually, to SK points, a very, very obvious statement here. Um, to be fair, this would actually apply to most strength sports too because they have weight class categories. However, in soccer, what are we doing with our muscles and our tendons? We're pressing our body weight against the ground and moving our body weight against the ground. And 
if you can't squat your body weight five times, you're not going to run very fast and you're not going to jump very high. So your strength and power output as an athlete has to be relative to your body weight. So like if you're 300 pounds and you can squat 315 for like a single, you're not going to do much on a soccer field because you're not going to run very fast. And I think this actually sets us up into the athletic side of things. I, if you might, don't mind me getting started. No, no, go ahead. It's a good, Um, good segue. (laughs) So, so basically from a performance aspect, what we're trying to see for the most part in soccer players is their ability to produce force into the ground to run faster, jump higher and change directions, directions quicker. And really, this is where I think a lot of people have a misunderstanding on it, is what is running faster? What is jumping higher? It's your ability to apply that force quickly into the ground and push off and move your body against gravity. And that's what exercises like squats, deadlifts, step-ups, and lunges will train, is your ability to apply force into the ground. And that will make you run faster and jump higher. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest, the biggest benefits I've seen from resistance training for, um, for just athletes in general, and then, uh, obviously soccer players, uh, specifically, but I think, I think it's a mistake to, you know, only look at, uh, evidence tied to soccer players, because if you're looking for, um, things that you need to do in less sport, like basketball or rugby or something, yeah, vertical uh, jump increase. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, those things matter in, uh, in football. Right. So, you know, acceleration, uh, jump, uh, vertical jump, um, you know, like, uh, uh, broad jumps, um, sprint speed over like 10, 20 meters. Um, all of these things are increased through resistance training. Um, and you know, these are the things you need. Uh, also very, very important to point out, uh, so soccer is an endurance sport. I would, I would qualify it as an endurance sport. It's an hour and a half long, um, or depending what level you, you play at, obviously I'm sure a lot of people watching this haven't progressed to 90 minutes yet, but, um, you know, soccer games are long. You need to have endurance to play. Uh, it's not enough to sprint, uh, you know, 10 or 20 meters one time. Um, but there is absolutely no evidence that resistance training will decrease your endurance. Um, there literally none. Now there is evidence that doing endurance training will reduce how strong you are to, like at, at a certain point. Um, so if you're, uh, if you're going to be an elite level soccer player, you are not also going to be probably, um, an elite, although Noble will probably disagree with me on this. Um, you're, you're probably not going to be as strong as you could be if all you did was resistance training and you didn't play soccer at all. Um, now the, the level of that is probably not huge. Um, but this idea that, you know, resistance training will make you, um, unfit is just not true. Um, it's not going to make you like fat either, unless you're eating way too much that like gaining weight has, it's, it's about your diet. It's not about, um, the, the kind of training that you're doing, uh, really, uh, it's more about, you know, how many calories you're consuming and then, you know, are you, 
uh, how active you are. Um, so yeah, you get all these benefits. And then I've also, I've even seen evidence that resistance training will help you, uh, it will help you with endurance will make you more, um, more fit, but that evidence is a little bit conflicted. Um, I've also seen evidence that it has no impact on, uh, on your endurance. Um, so we're not resistance training to be able to run, you know, longer distances, really, that's not the main benefit, but it's not going to hurt your endurance. And yes, I'd like to touch on the point about the doing intense physical activity outside of resistance training and resistance training for maximal strength, because I actually have experience competing in powerlifting and Chris is hundred percent, right. If I'm training for soccer, seriously, I could not run a powerlifting program to peak for a powerlifting meet properly and actually be able to get to my maximal strength. Um, if I was going to do that, like I would actually have to kind of put soccer on maintenance and just kind of like chill for a little while on soccer. So I don't fatigue myself playing. Um, and here's the thing for most of us, we're not also playing that many other sports. So that's not really what we're going to want to do. So we will put our weight training as supplementary to our soccer opposed to as our primary goal. And to be completely honest, you don't need maximal strength to be a soccer yeah. player. I mean, if you wanted maximal strength, you would go into a strength sport like powerlifting, weightlifting, or strongman. And okay, nothing that, wrong with those sports. One of those. <laughs> and that's a, that's part of it. Yeah, and I forgot what I was going to okay. say. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I, I, can, I had to sneak that in there somewhere. If I can add on to Crystal's point about you said endurance training, like um, uh, would you say weightlifting might not, in, uh, like weightlifting cannot like increase your endurance, but it also doesn't affect it. I think that's what you said. I mean, I've actually seen some evidence. Um, so. Uh, actually I'll, I'll bring this up now. I'm actually, um, we're hopefully going to publish, um, an article that I wrote for my, uh, master's dissertation, which is on resistance training, um, in, uh, girl soccer players. Uh, so under 18, uh, female soccer players. Um, and, um, I actually found a study, um, that showed that resistance training increased your endurance. And then I also found a handful of studies that said it has no, had no impact. So if I had to guess between the two, I'd say it probably yeah. has little to no impact, uh, but there is no evidence that it will hurt your endurance. So we're not resistance training to get more fit. We're resistance training for other benefits, um, but it's not going to hurt your fitness. If it did, obviously that would be, you know, an issue, but it, it's, uh, it's not going to. Now I can actually add into that because it used to be very taboo among endurance runners to do resistance training, but now you're seeing most of the top endurance runners doing resistance training. And also contrary to popular belief, they're not doing super high reps and sets. They're doing closer to what we're doing, but usually with lighter weights yeah. because they're not as strong as soccer players, obviously. Yeah. But with the, like the main thing no, is, is endurance runners will do this because it will one decrease their injury rates because tons of pounding, especially if they're running on concrete, is just not great for the body in the long run for running 20 miles or something like that. And the other reason is, is that 
every single step they take, if they're applying slightly more force with their comfortable stride, they'll actually run the endurance race faster. Um, one point I would like to make, and I think this is something that we should mention on, is soccer does definitely have an endurance aspect. However, it's actually probably more of an anaerobic sport than it is an aerobic sport. Yeah. Um, there are three energy systems that are used in athletics, and you never use all, only one of them at once. You're always using all three of them, and that's the phosphogenic, glycolytic, and oxidative. And oxidative is your pure cardiovascular, like going for a jog. Glycolytic is your in-between intense in that, and phosphogenic is your full-out sprinting or full out lifting like a one rep back weight. And at least according to the NSCA, the National Strength and Conditioning Association, soccer is primarily a phosphogenic sport. And that's because in soccer, at least most of my running is short, quick sprints. Like I short, quick sprint, and then maybe I very slowly jog or walk for a little while. And that's the entire game. Yeah. Yeah. How often do you run a hundred meters? It's just it do, doesn't happen that often like every once in a while a right back will run all the way from their box to the other box or like a, a midfielder or something but most of your work in soccer is over 10 meters um maybe maybe 20 but a lot of it's even shorter than that you know uh five quick steps um to to get in position let's go back to sk uh before we derail the conversation mm-hmm. yeah so <laughs> what, I, what i was trying to say is maybe not endurance in the vo2 vo2 max kind of way but endurance in your legs like how much you can actually run without getting fatigued in your legs and i i'm pretty sure that weightlifting if you put put in more reps higher amount of higher amount of reps can actually increase the amount of running you can do with your legs yeah well think like think like we said that running or resistance training will make you quicker over 10 meters so if it makes you quicker over 10 meters you could probably also run 10 meters at the same speed you could before, but then you could do it again and then you could, yeah. and then you could do it again and then you could do it again. Um, so, you know, just like, uh, or, you know, you could run it faster and then the next time you run it, you could probably run it, um, you know, faster than you could have, um, if you weren't, if you weren't, um, if you weren't resistance training. So, you know, the resistance training, just so, so many, um, so many benefits to performance, um, for sure. Anything else on, uh, um, I mean, obviously we'll touch on it again I as, guess, as we go, but I guess I could just add on to the point SK was making. Let's say we were running something at like 25% of our energy expenditure. If you then did resistance training for like six months, that 25% would probably be a little faster just because your muscles would naturally apply more force into the ground. So that would improve your endurance performance on the pitch. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then uh, because of uh, who I am and what I talk about, we also have to have to bring up um, the mental benefits of resistance, resistance training, um, because there are mental benefits. Um, uh one good you feel good you play good. yeah yeah i mean That's honestly, the motto right it's, there it 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 is it is true um and uh like improved confidence through resistance training is a pretty well studied thing um and 
it, it does increase your confidence. And as, as we all know, uh, when you're confident, you're just a completely different player. I'm not saying that um, this should be the main reason you resistance train. Uh, I did put it third <laughs> in the, in the list uh, for a reason, uh, because I think the evidence for the other two is just overwhelming. Um, and there are probably other things you could do to improve your confidence and, you know, as much as resistance training. Um, but, uh, there is that benefit there. And I think, um, you know, it would be wrong, uh, not to, not to bring it up. And I, I totally agree with this. Um, for one resistance training, I, I like to bring back to the point that it's fun a lot in any sport or athletic activity. It's something fun that you can actually do. And it can actually be a stress reliever. There's plenty of research on resistance training and stress relief. And especially if you're like having a rough patch with your soccer career, if you can go to the gym and enjoy it, and it seems like a break from your soccer career, even if you are training for soccer, it can have positive psychological benefits. I mean, if you're struggling on the pitch, but your, your squat feels really good when you're in the gym or you're doing well on any exercise outside of it, it will carry over to confidence on the pitch. And not to mention, there's another aspect to it. And this is probably one of the points that I'll bring up a lot is if you're strong, like, you know, you're strong, you're going to be much, much more confident going into tackles against other people and other physical confrontations, because especially when you're at the lower levels. Now, when we get into the higher levels, like college and professional, most of the guys lift weights. So this You'll still be confident, but you're going to be going up against someone harder. But at the amateur levels, most players do not lift weights, so you're probably going to be stronger than them. So you might just crush them in every 50-50 challenge, which that's always going to yeah. help your cycle. I oh. will I will push back a little bit. Um, most uh, college uh, soccer players um, most professional uh, soccer players are not doing any kind of um so obviously professional at the highest level there's there's a gym um i would probably still disagree with a lot of the things um that that athletes uh, and trainers go uh, put themselves through because they overcomplicate a lot of stuff for no reason um but even um so it you know, 90 plus percent of uh, athletes in high school don't resistance train and that number doesn't drop that much uh, when you go to college. So you might have like a mandatory lift one or two times a week or something. Um, a lot of this stuff is uh, not uh, hugely beneficial. Um, and soccer is one of the sports where resistance training is uh, the lowest rates of resistance training. Taboo. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, I do know, obviously in the States, um, a lot of, uh, you know, if you're at a D one college, you're probably going to do at least some resistance training, um, looking at professional leagues though. Um, so lower divisions in England or, uh, you know, anywhere else in Europe, most players won't resistance train at all. Um, and if they do, it'll probably be some sort of circuit training with no, uh, with, just with body weight. Wait, yeah, let me, true. I'm going to jump on that. But first I'm going to go back for one second and say one of the other really rewarding things about resistance training is it's so easy to see your progression, which is really nice. So you can be having a hard spell playing soccer 
Uh, and then you can be resistance training for like, like a month or something. And you could look back at the weight you started with. And it's so easy to see how much stronger you've gotten. You're able to say, Oh, I, I put 20 pounds on my squat in a month. Awesome. You know, so that's another really nice thing uh, mentally about rewarding uh, resistance training. Yeah. Um, and then going back onto what Christo was saying, I know over here, even in Spain, uh, fourth and third division, which is a very high level, we didn't do any resistance training. You know, all the gym work that we did was injury prevention, but it was like, what an old person would do in rehab. You know what I mean? It was, we weren't doing weighted squats and heavy lifts like that. Um, and it was also a lot of circuit training, uh, on the field. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely not a, re- a lot of heavy weights. Yeah. Better than nothing. Um, but, uh, yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, not, not, um, not very optimal at all. That's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Just to, uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. If you just to ask you guys a question, if no, if no one has anything to say about this topic, um, how how would you plan like a like a full session for for a soccer player? Would you say? Um, I'd I'd contact my brother, Coach Christo, and I'd say, Coach Christo, <laughs> give me a resistance training. School. Like, what's the schedule? Template? You're not you're not gonna you're not gonna uh, uh, pick Noblet over me. Oh, well, I, I, mean, I have good. yours now. Yours is going well. I'll have to ask Noblet for his next, and then right. I can do a little YouTube really, TikTok comparison. Really, really quick before we get to that, I just want to bring uh, this up because um, it was something that came up when I was doing research for my uh, my master's dissertation. Um, the uh, so performance benefits are pretty equivalent between uh, men and women, uh, girls and boys. Um, Injury reduction rates actually higher for women that resistance train than for men, not in every study, but in several different studies Um, and mental benefits also higher for women than they are for men. Um, Now, so if, uh, yeah, if you are a a girl, resistance training is actually even more important for you. Um, So I have a, I have a, I have a theory as to why this is. Um, and it's, I w- if I had to guess, I would say it's probably because men have more muscle mass naturally and women have less. So, um, I know we talked last week about how, like the first bit of training you do, that's what you get the most benefits. Um, because if you go from training, not at all to training a little bit, um, you know, that's, that's a bigger difference than going from training a little bit to a medium amount and so on. Um, not to say that you shouldn't be doing more, but um, going from having very little muscle mass to, you know, a decent amount, um, will probably help you more than going from having a decent amount to having a lot. Um, so women that resistance train, you know, gain, can gain muscle mass. And then, um, that, you know, helps them. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of evidence that it makes the, you know, performance benefits are bigger than they are for men. Um, but for injury reduction, it's actually more important. Um, and then a lot of uh, women uh, struggle with confidence issues, not to say men don't. Uh, but from what I saw um, when I was uh, doing research for this particular uh, paper that I was writing, uh, young women, so under 18, struggled more with confidence than men 
or than than boys under the age of 18. Um, and the, the mental benefits from doing some sort of resistance training, uh, were bigger for women. So just some, something to, uh, to mention, um, I know a lot of people think that girls shouldn't resistance train and that is just absolute nonsense. Um, and I'd like to add to that because I think there's a very common misconception with resistance training, especially with women. Um, one of the main reasons that people don't like women resistance training is, is they see these steroided up women's bodybuilders that are huge and look somewhat masculinized, but they think that's from doing dumbbell curls and not from taking anabolic steroids. And the reality is, is it's actually extremely difficult to gain any significant amount of muscle mass. And this is times 10 for a woman. And what a lot of people think is she'll do one dumbbell curl. She'll be Arnold Schwarzenegger. And that's just not how yeah, it all, works. All those memes of like uh, <laughs> I, a woman I, I, touches a, touches a barbell once. And then it's like the, the and then she's Ronnie Coleman. Yeah. 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 And like the fact of the matter is, and like, let's be honest, a lot of personal confidence does come down to your personal your actual appearance to a lot of people. And what you actually see with a lot of women when they start lifting weights is they actually get the toned feminine physique that they want. They just basically add the curves that they want instead of huge muscles. They don't get huge biceps or a huge back or any of these things. They actually just end up looking more aesthetic and that's what they wanted anyways. Yep. That's what, why they avoided lifting weights. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we can, uh, I think it's, um, so I do have some, uh, resistance training plans, uh, and I do have, you know, ideas for different levels of athletes. Um, probably, uh, there's, there's a couple things, um, to kind of touch on, uh, as we get into that. So like, um, sets, reps, uh, intensity, rest times, all of this stuff is going to be really, really important. Um, so we can, we can kind of start, um, going through that stuff. Um, so we'll start, um, with one of the, one of the things that I think is, um, I see a lot of players struggle with is, uh, the intensity that you should be training at. Um, you should not be taking many or any of your sets, uh, to failure. Um, so, you have had a deep talked about, um, RPE rate of perceived exertion. Um, last week, I actually prefer, um, using a different scale, uh, reps and reserve IRI, uh, just because I think it's more intuitive. Um, uh, and uh, like, no matter how, uh, how plainly you explain RPE, uh, people still get confused. Um, and with IRI, um, I found people get less confused. You want to hear um, something funny about that real quick? Go, go ahead. Um, Mike Tuchera, who is one of the best powerlifting coaches in the world, modified the RPE scale to basically be reps in reserve. Yeah. So yeah. a RPE 10 is a full one rep max. RPE 9 is you could do one more rep. RPE 8 is you could do two more reps. So it is reps in reserve. Yeah. Yeah, but I know, but, so basically, but like basically people... the same is just kind of coming at it from like the opposite way. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah. but but no, yeah, I mean... the the traditional RPE scale is full max effort, almost yeah. full max effort, hard, yeah. 
not very hard. And yeah, that's more subjective to where the reps and reserve version of it is much more easy to. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, because I use RPE for so long, like when I do my own training, I write down the RPE, not the IRI, but, um, RIR. I've been saying this wrong the whole time. Um, the hey, it's not R-I-R. as high as RPE. RPE <laughs> yeah. is just better. Rolls off the right. But yeah, but um, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, but for, for clients, I've found that uh, reps and reserve makes more uh, or is, is less confusing to them when I explain it. Um, so basically uh, what I would say is like, say you're doing a set um, of, of squats um, and you do a set of five because why not? Um, and you could have done two more reps with perfect form or close to perfect form. Obviously no one's form is ever going to be completely perfect. Um, but you know, close to perfect form hitting the depth that you want. Um, and you could have done two more reps. Uh, that means that you had two reps in reserve. So two, uh, R I R or it was an RPE of eight, um, so yeah, that, that means you could have done two more reps. Um, now intensity is really, really important because if you train to failure, uh, where you could not do another perfect rep or, uh, you could not do another rep at all. Um, or you even, you know, fail on a rep, uh, the recovery cost of that, um, does, you know, is very, uh, large, much larger than if you stopped a rep before. And, um, there are, there's not really any extra benefit you're getting, not any extra benefit from what I've seen at all in terms of, you know, gaining muscle, gaining strength, um, any of that. I haven't seen evidence that training, uh, you know, to failure makes you stronger or bigger or has more injury prevention, uh, benefits If anything. It's detrimental because it, uh, you know, because it costs, you know, your, it taxes your recovery much more so that you can't train as much. You can't train as hard, you know, et cetera. And I'd like to add on to something about this um, because one of the big issues with sport specific training for a sport like soccer, but this would also apply to most field sports or basketball as well. Um, soccer is a speed specific sport. So especially if our bigger compound lifts like squats, any form of deadlift or step up lunges or something like that, we want to actually maintain a relatively fast bar speed. We don't want to be doing slow and grindy reps because we're not looking for that maximal force output. We're looking for maximal power output. And I'm going to have to explain the difference between force and power real quick. Um, And the easiest way to explain this is force is literally just how much force I can apply to the ground. So if your one rep max is 500 pounds, that's your maximal force. But a one rep max is going to be slow. You're not going to do that very quickly. Power is ability to apply force rapidly. So somebody who can jump 30 inches into there is applying a significant amount of power through the ground. So one way I would use resistance training to train power is I would use something that is closer to an RP or reps and reserve seven or eight to where we're stopping before the reps get slow and we're doing our, all our sets to where they're moving the weight fast, 
but it still needs to be a heavyweight. I would say it needs to be at least 70, 75% of your one rep max to do this. But instead of taking this to close to your point of failure or even form failure, you're stopping at bar speed. When your bar speed starts to decrease, you stop there. That way you're training in the bar speed that you need to produce power. Now, one area I might have a minor disagreement with Christo here is the area on hypertrophy. Now, for soccer players, hypertrophy is secondary. Hypertrophy is more of a added benefit that might help in some ways. But for pure hypertrophy training, we actually, you actually do want to get close to failure. But the difference being is that if you're training for purely hypertrophy, you're probably going to be using lighter weights and higher repetitions anyways. And also a lot of people who train for pure hypertrophy are probably going to be doing more isolation movements anyways than big lifts. Like you're not going to take a squat to failure very often yeah. because that's dangerous. So you'll do a leg press or a hack squat instead. Things like that. Yeah. Um, when you say close to close to failure, I probably agree with you. Um, I've, and, uh, I think, um, a lot of people who train for hypertrophy like training to failure on smaller exercises. So again, if you enjoy it, it might help you just because you're enjoying it and do more. That pain. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I think like, uh, if you're being, being very, very strict with what's actually optimal, you would, tr you would still train to failure very rarely, but you might go to RPE nine, yeah, you know, RPE a bunch on smaller yeah. exercises, right? Yeah. Like two to three reps from failure would probably yeah. be optimal. Most of the time what, for hypertrophy, what you would want to avoid is five, six reps away from failure. Yeah, for sure. Because, um, uh, but you know, at the same time, I think like, like, uh, if you're training for hypertrophy, if you're training to failure all the time, you're probably not going to be able to train, um, as much, uh, do as many sets, as many reps. Um, so like, say, say you're doing, you know, bicep curls, uh, and you're going to do five, five sets, uh, you do the first set and you take it to failure. Um, that probably means that the next sets you do, you'll be doing less reps than if you just did, yes. you know, stayed one, stayed one rep, a rep away. If you're going to train to failure, probably the last, last set, um, is that really needed? Probably not. But if it's something that someone enjoys and they're training for hypertrophy, fair play. Um, but again, you know, the compound movements are going to look fairly similar. Uh, not, not all the time. Um, but I think, um, you know, getting strong makes your muscles bigger, uh, as well. So, uh, uh, or, you know, get, if you get strong, you will have, uh, big muscles. That's, well, that's part of it. Right. Actually muscle mass is the best predictor of outright strength anyways. So like, yeah. while obviously neural adaptations and technique, technique improvements even do matter, what they found is even in elite level power lifters is that having bigger muscle mass is the best predictor for all three of the big lifts, which was actually like a big surprise to a lot of the powerlifting elitists who think that yeah. they're mastering their technique and they're mm -hmm. peaking properly. No, just some big Jack guys going to come in there and probably lift the most. And yeah. I mean, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I do want to make a point because SK asked like, how would we design a program for soccer players? And there's, a very common thing, especially on TikTok, of 
don't train like a bodybuilder, train like an athlete. And I think we should address what that actually means, because I think a lot of people have misconceptions of what that actually means. And I'll like to hear all of your opinions on it. But what it means to me is basically this. For soccer players, we probably don't want to do body part splits. We probably don't want to train arm day on Monday, chest on Wednesday, legs on Friday, back on Thursday or something like that. Um, for soccer players, for the most part, what I would do is I'd do one to three full body sessions. We do three main lifts usually, usually some sort of lower body pushing exercise, some sort of upper body pushing exercise, and then I lower body pulling and upper body pulling exercises. Um, bodybuilders would train focusing on body parts where soccer players would focus on movements. And the other aspect being soccer players will focus more on big compound movements and will occasionally use smaller or even isolation movements as supplementary where a lot of bodybuilders will do the, almost the opposite the isolation and focus on an individual body part will be the priority and the big movements will be supplementary for their focusing on just isolating one head of the bicep or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, approach things a little bit differently. Um, and it's not necessarily because I disagree with anything that, uh, Nobla just said. Um, I actually, I, I think we're aligned on, on most things. Now, this is what I have found to be the best kind of bang for the buck, uh, program. Um, and it's because most athletes that I work with, um, don't have time or don't want to be in the gym more than, or do resistance training at home more than twice a week. Um, and I think twice a week is enough. Um, I strongly encourage them to do twice a week, not once a week, uh, because I think you get, um, a decent amount of benefits from that second session. But I think if I was to tell them they, uh, should be training three times a week, I would lose more people, uh, you know, completely than, um, you know, kind of, I, I need that buy-in from players basically. Um, so I start them with, with two times a week and at the very beginning, now, obviously this changes as I work with an athlete more often. So D will know Dimitri does upper body stuff, not just lower body stuff. The first session that I do with most players, I don't do any upper body, uh, training at all. And that's actually true for like, uh, first couple of weeks, maybe even months, uh, depending on what I can get the player to do. Um, a lot of the time we stick with lower body for a decent amount of time. Um, so my program usually looks something like this. I'll start. Um, so there's two days, first day we'll do a, uh, a squat variation. Um, and then we'll do a single leg hip hinge variation. Uh, so squat variation will obviously depending, it could be single leg, but it doesn't have to be. Basically, this will be any squat variation. Uh, I'll usually go off what the player wants to do. Um, obviously, we'll, we'll keep this uh, exercise consistent or we'll, like, you know, we'll change it until we find something that they want to stick with and progress with. Um, but it could be something just like a traditional barbell squat, front squat, um, 
something. It could even be a leg press. If that's all I can get them to do, it's, it's much better than some, uh, than nothing. And then we will do a single leg hip hinge, uh, variation. And then we will do one, two, or, uh, probably one or two, um, smaller, um, uh, exercises that I have seen, um, evidence that they either reduce injury risk or, um, improve performance in soccer players. Um, so my favorites for this are single leg calf raises, um, Nordic hamstring curls or, uh, yeah, Nordics or, uh, glute ham raises, something like that. Some, um, kind of isolation E hamstring exercise, um, and, uh, Copenhagen's, um, which are, um, yeah, you can, you can Google that and find out what they are. <laughs> um, I don't know exactly how to explain it. Um, but yeah, those, so those, those three exercises, usually sometimes, um, some other things as well, but those are my three go-tos. Uh, and then on day two, we'll do the same thing, but we'll start with a hip hinge. We'll do whatever they want to do. Then we'll do, uh, a single leg squat variation, and then we'll add in some smaller stuff. Um, and obviously as we go, we can add in more days or we can add in upper body exercises. This isn't exactly what I do, uh, right now because I want to train more and there are benefits to upper body training. Uh, but from what I've seen, this is what, uh, works the best when I'm introducing resistance training to a footballer because it gets them to buy in and then I can change it as we go. Um, rather than starting with something that will have less buy-in, uh, and then I lose people, uh, you know, before they've developed a habit of resistance training. One thing I want to ask you, coach Christo is, um, especially when you said, when you, you can call me with- Christo, you can call Christo, me Christo. I, I, love, I love that we go with the coach Christo. So when you're starting out with players that maybe haven't done, uh, resistance training as much or don't have a plan yet, I think. For me, I would start them out with um, more reps than usual. So like for strength output, like maximum strength and power, you would usually do like lower reps, some, somewhere from like three to five or six, if that's correct. But for players that are just starting out with resistance training, in my opinion, I think this, I call this the foundation layer. I would usually have them do higher reps just so they can get that foundation layer down they can get the movement, the form, everything. They can kind of build a little bit of muscle. So maybe it kind of prevents injuries. So I wanted your thoughts on that. Um, so so uh, what would you start them out with? What would the rep scheme be kind of? So maybe like, uh, let's say we're doing a squat. Instead of doing like five reps, or like six reps, I would maybe go to the 10 to 12 rep range just to have a little bit more of a hypertrophy so they can build that good muscle base. And then after like two to three weeks, maybe I would move them on to lower reps. Um, so I think um, usually I'm not going to be doing sets of um, three with, uh, with complete beginners. I'll probably do more than that. And I would say, yes, probably when I'm starting out with a player, it's, I'll probably be doing slightly higher reps um, than I would with a more advanced player. Um, obviously, this is gonna this is gonna change. Uh, it's not like you know my more advanced athletes won't ever be doing sets of ten. Um, 
I think um, a good rule of, of thumb for compound movements is, you know, don't, uh, you're not going to get massively greater benefits. You're not really going to get any greater benefits from going much, much higher than 10 um, and sets of 20 on squats. If they're hard, really suck. Um, mm -hmm. So if you're not getting more extra benefit from that, why would you do it? Um, so but at the same time, um, you know, if I'm just starting with an athlete, um, doing, you know, sets of 20 with something like bodyweight squats can be, can be good because, um, but you know, before moving on, because it's not going to be particularly hard. Um, it's not particularly miserable yet because, because it's not particularly hard, um, and getting a lot of reps in makes you more proficient at something. Um, so if, uh, you know, if I have them do three sets of five and that's all we ever do, um, they're getting 15 reps of squats in every time we do a session. Uh, if they're doing three sets of 10, they're doing 30 reps, they're doing more reps. They'll learn the movement a little bit more quickly. Um, and you know, once I've seen that they can, they can do that, then we can, you know, we can move on. We can start pushing the, the strength a lot. Um, for more advanced athletes, um, I usually stay within four, uh, you know, between four reps and 10 reps. Um, I'm not saying that I never go lower. I'm not saying that I never go higher. Uh, but I usually stay in that range because, um, uh, there's not huge benefits to going, uh, you know, lower in reps and lower in reps, uh, means heavier in weight, uh, and, uh, that's not always super fun for athletes and going a lot higher, as I said, sets of 20 sets of 30 on compound stuff. It's, it's not, it's not super fun. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, so why do it unless we're getting huge benefits from it, which I don't think, uh, there's good evidence of. So I might actually have a minor disagreement here. So for now there is some nuance to this, of course, but if we're teaching like a compound lift like the barbell back squat and i'm making a very specific point the barbell back squat not bodyweight squats not a goblet squat i'm actually probably never going to have them do more than five reps at a time and the reason is i want them to focus on getting proper technique and how we're going to do that and how we're going to make sure that they're doing that is we're going to start out with sub maximal loads and we'll build up so for example, the first day they train and do barbell back squats, they might be doing a five RPE. It might just be extremely easy and that's fine. It's their first day in the gym doing back squats. I don't want them struggling on their first day in the gym. And if they're doing sets of 10 or 12, even if it is a lighter weight, <laughs> It's very, it's very likely that they'll be getting fatigued. So you'll see more deterioration in form as they progress with the sets. Now with truly true beginners, we're probably not going to put a barbell on their back. And here's where the nuance comes in. We're either going to start out with body weight squats. We might even do hands over their head squats to make sure that their mobility to get into that position is good enough. And then we'll do goblet squats and goblet squats are an exercise that I would do for sets of 10 or something like that, because it's mechanically easier. And since it's harder to load a goblet squat, super heavy anyways, 
you're more likely to want to do sets of 10 with it as well. But like for the harder lifts, such as barbell back squat, and this would also apply for deadlifts, whether it's barbell or a trap bar deadlift, I'm probably going to stick to the three to five rep range with novice lifters. And when we get into more advanced lifters, we might consider doing higher reps in some of those lifts. And like, and that's, that's a point that we have to make is, I think novice lifters could basically come into the gym and do three sets of five, two times a week and make gains. However, someone like myself or Cristo who have been lifting several years, we're not going to make gains doing three sets of five. We'll be lucky if three sets of five a week will maintain our gains. And this is where periodization might come into hand. In the off season, you might have a short hypertrophy block even to try to put on a little mass, but that's not something most novice lifters need to worry about right now, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I'll ask you a question then. Uh, do you think that say we, uh, say we took, uh, two athletes exactly the same, uh, let's say we took Dimitri's <laughs> two Dimitri's. Well, I mean, you've been, you've been training for a while, so I don't know, but like, uh, we're two, just two 15 year old Dimitri's yeah. two 15 yeah, exactly. year old. Dimitri's. So and go. one of them we do, uh, twice a week, we do either my program or your program, whichever, uh, basic resistance training plan. One of them only does three sets of five and one of them only does three sets of six let's take another they only do sets three sets of eight and then another they only do three sets of ten do you think that over a year two years three years five years um they are going to have very different uh experiences either in terms of they're training at the same same ish intensity uh all of that um do you think they're going to have markedly different uh experiences in terms of you know increased performance or uh, injury reduction or something else? Well, if we're going by like one year, for example, and like they're doing three sets of five, three sets of eight, three sets of 10, basically what you're going to see is mostly insignificant differences, especially in the early stages. And then towards the end of it, what you might see is the three sets of five group will have a better one rep max, but the three sets of 10 group will probably have the biggest quads but it will be minor difference. Like it won't be a huge difference. It's just that since the three sets of five group is probably going to be training closer to their one rep max after the end of that year, the three sets of 10, they'll be more used to being under a bar under that condition. But for very obvious reasons, volume is important for hypertrophy growth. So the three sets of 10 group would probably have ever so slightly more hypertrophy, but I don't think the differences would be significant. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, I don't think we disagree, uh, hugely. Um, and as I said, um, you know, my, what I recommend for players, um, is based a lot on what I have found players are willing to buy into. Um, so if someone loves training sets of three or four or seven or something, like we're going to do a lot of that. And if someone really loves, yeah, if someone really loves training sets of 10, if someone really loves training sets of 15 on squats for some ungodly reason, 
we'll do some of that. You kick them out of the gym. <laughs> you 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 throw them out the window. Yeah, there's actually there's actually something wrong with people who like to squat for. I mean, to be fair, that's me too. I I did do a set of three fifteen for twenty this summer or last summer. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, off, kicked off of the podcast. Yeah, Goodbye. Yeah, yeah. Just just but, just a question I have before yeah, we go move ahead. On. About like you have three different athletes to do three sets of five, three sets of uh, eight, three sets of ten. Wouldn't and I'm just I'm just asking this to you guys. Wouldn't the guy that does three sets of five reps have more strength output that gets converted onto the field or no? Um, yes, and this is actually I should I should make this point a little more clear. Um, higher rep sets are actually harder to recover from too. So when when we're looking for soccer player performance we're looking in many ways for how can we get the most stimulus for adaptation without causing significant recovery issues while we're on the pitch. This is actually the other reason why I tend to trend towards lower rep ranges for athletes is, and like I said, the hypertrophy adaptations, while they're good, they are secondary to the power adaptations, power and strength adaptations. And five, five reps is more than enough to get hypertrophy adaptations and basically what i would do is once that's not enough to get adapt more adaptations is i would just add more sets or another day of lifting potentially but yes um to some degree now i think the truth of the matter is if we were to do the experiment as christo said it they're only lifting two times a week three by five versus three by ten you're not going to see two significant differences in any objective metric. You might see minimal differences, but it won't be huge. Yeah. So like, and, uh, going back to what I said, like, um, if, so if I have those two athletes and one of them is like, I only want to do sets of four. And the other one is like, I only want to do sets of 10. I'm not going to argue with them because I'd rather have them be in the gym consistently. That's what matters more. Um, so small differences, might build up over years, but at the same time, different things work for different people mentally, but then also physically. So, you know, we have some kind of rules of thumb um, for like, I mean, I, I don't recommend athletes go, you know, super high in reps. And I'm also not going to have an athlete doing 10 sets of one every time they set set, uh, set foot in the gym. Um, but you know, there's, there's middle ground where like you can adjust it for the athlete, um, just based on what works for them and then also what they enjoy. Um, so, you know, you want to keep them in, in the gym consistently. Um, and if they're in the gym consistently, they're going to be getting benefits or of course, resistance training at home, they're going to be getting benefits. Um, who cares if they're getting 99% of the benefits or a hundred percent, uh, because that 1% doesn't really matter. It's the, the 99% that matters. Yes. And a lot of this has to do with some resistance training is almost always going to be better than no resistance training for an athlete. And that really is, I mean, if you're making a program that they actually want to be there to do, that's going to be so much better than the program that they don't want to be there to do, because for one, especially if you're not physically there forcing them to go through the exercises. If they don't want to be there, they might just not be there. And we'd rather them be there. And this is something, this is going to be a common theme in our podcast, a suboptimal program that you're consistent with 
will produce better results than an optimal program that you're inconsistent with. And that goes for pretty much everything in life. Yeah, definitely. Um, the life lessons. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I talked a little bit about, uh, and, and Nobla talked a little bit about how he structures his training. You know, so he had the four four main, you know, uh, lower body push and pull, upper body push and pull. Yes. And then I talked a little bit about, um, you know, ba- basically um, I start with the uh, um, lower body push and pull, and I do at least one single leg movement for each of those. Um, and then obviously, you know, after that, I'm trying to get people to, uh, you know, buy into resistance training. And then I add in upper body training because upper body training does matter. Um, uh, now the reason that I include lower body movements, I see a lot of people talk about how resistance training needs to be sport specific, soccer specific. Um, this idea is, uh, well, (laughs) it's just not true. Um, (laughs) you're in the gym. Um, you're like your sport specific training is done on the field with a ball. Uh, you're in the gym to, you know, improve, uh, generally and physically, um, by increasing your power and your, uh, you know, and your strength, um, things like this. And then you can put that on the field, um, so that you're better in games. But, uh, there is, I still do single body movements because a lot of the movements you do on the field will be on one leg and um, strength is specific. So if you train a barbell back squat, you will be strong at a barbell back squat. You will get stronger at a front squat, but not as strong as if you trained front squats. Um, If, if you train um, strength on one leg, you will be stronger on one leg than you will be. If you never train strength on one leg, but you still train as much, but you train on both legs. So there's a reason to do single leg movements. Um, and, uh, you know, because a lot of the movements you do in the field are on one leg. So I think single body, uh, well, single lower body training for a sport like soccer, most sports to be fair, because most sports you're running around on a field, you know, running is, you know, one leg at a time, you're not bunny hopping all over the place. Um, you know, so maybe, except, maybe except, Dimitri, except Dimitri, um, uh, Amazing so, how I got to the level <laughs> I am <laughs> training, training on one leg, um, has its place. Uh, it's not the only thing I do, um, because, um, you know, for, for certain things, um, because, you know, uh, training on one leg, you have to do both sides. Um, so it takes, sometimes it takes takes a little bit longer. Yeah. Like, um, and I don't think like saying, okay, you can only do single leg, uh, lower body movements. I think, I think that'd be a little bit stupid, but, um, I think that doing some probably has its benefits. And I, I would agree with that. And I would like just to add the pros and cons to both of these. Um, so We'll start out with doing, and we'll use the squat versus a split squat as just easy comparisons. Um, the squat will be for an athlete, it will be your best exercise for overall strength and power output because you're going to have more balance because you're on two legs and you can load the bar more. Um, I've never seen anyone doing single leg squats 
with normally even 50% of their one rep max squat. And the reason is, is balance issues in a single leg squat outweigh the total load issues. So for your actual outright strength and power output, the barbell back squatters or front squat even are going to be your best lifts. However, there is the reality that a soccer player needs to be able to apply force off of one leg and not to mention the balance attributes of being on one leg. If you can't do a Bulgarian back or a Bulgarian split squat because you're falling over just standing on one foot, how are you supposed to play sports, especially soccer, when you're on one foot for large portions of the game? Because you can't dribble, shoot, or pass a ball with both feet on the ground. One foot has to be in the air doing the passing or dribbling. So the, even just the balance aspect of it will, and it will strengthen muscles that stabilize your leg that's planted on the ground. And yeah, the now I have read some research like the idea of replicating what it looks like to run with one leg may or may not actually translate as directly as a lot of people think. So when you're setting up a Bulgarian split squat, just because the front leg looks similar to what it would in a sprint, doesn't necessarily mean it makes you faster, but at the same time, if it does, if there's any chance of it having benefit that way, I think it's good and it's definitely not hurting. And then just the balance and coordination from learning how to apply force to the ground through one leg is just a net positive. Definitely agree. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, upper body work is going to be compound movements as well as I as I mentioned. You know, upper body uh, push, uh, upper body pull, vertical, horizontal. Sure, do both uh, if you want to. Um, don't necessarily have to, um, but things like, um, and then, uh, yeah, so let's, uh, actually we'll, we'll save that for the end. We'll go through our, um, kind of our, our favorite exercises for, for each of these movements. Um, (laughs) that'll be, that'll be a good, a good clip. Um, how about core work? I'm interested to hear what we think about this. Ooh, this is a good topic. All day. <laughs> so are you uh, asking Christian, what my favorite core exercises? Cristiano, no, well, uh, just like core work in general. What are oh. our thoughts? Um I'm just gonna put this out there. All right. Cristiano Ronaldo said he does a thousand sit-ups a day. So <laughs> if you want to be as good, if you want to be as good as Cristiano Ronaldo, I think that's probably his secret. It's not anything he does on the field, it's just uh the, it's not uh, the other way training. It's just yeah, the sit-ups. Not, it's just the sit-ups. That's um, the only way. That's the that's the only the only thing that uh that has made him such a such a great player. <laughs> For those that are not good tell. satire defectors. <laughs> um, <laughs> um real real quick. Um, do you guys know what Poe's Law is? Nope. Oh, Poe's in the Pose Panda. <laughs> Poe's Poe's Law states that. certain things that are satirical are now no longer detectable on the internet. So 
you oh. can't tell if it's satire or not. So we have we have to make sure that we don't have anybody having a pose law moment here. So yeah, yeah. we were being satirical. We think him playing soccer on the pitch is the greatest thing for his carryover. Then we think his strength and conditioning stuff comes next. And in my honest opinion, his sit-ups probably do waste of time next to nothing. Um, yeah. And SK, did you have anything you wanted to add on core training yourself before I say something? Oh, yeah, sure. I can go over it. So, like, three years ago, I would have said that a 10-minute ab workout every day would probably just be enough for me for my core. But now, since I got into the gym more, I do more things like a towel-off press, like different variations of that. And then I include, like, a medicine ball, and I do, like, sit-ups with that. And also, I just hang on a bar and, like, raise my legs up. Stuff like that, I think, is a good beneficial way to include core in the weight room. Yeah, I think I think as far as it goes for me, um, doing like compound lifts um, and like strength training three times a week, plus doing two days in between that, which is more of like a GBP, uh, GPP. So like general physical preparedness where I just do like Dimitri uh, a is a smart boy again. <laughs> All the exercise I'm putting, science. I'm terms. putting that I'm putting that in the everyone go through the timestamps from the last episode. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, those are that took me a um, long time, but it was a hundred percent worth it. <laughs> uh so on on those two days, I'm gonna be doing like a pull-up, like so like a bicep, a tricep, and then one just like ab exercise. Um, and I think between doing that and the strength training, that's all the abs that I really need to incorporate in my training. Yeah, okay. um I'll uh you you go first and then I'll uh, I'll Okay, so I I'm going to be completely honest on my opinion on core training. I think overall it's probably the most overrated strength and conditioning thing that 100%. there is. And the reason is is a lot of people will tell you that oh you got to train your core, you got to train your core and they'll be telling you to train your core before you're training your legs, your glutes or your upper body. And for one, in the scientific literature, even the definition of the core is not quite as well understood. I've seen definitions that would include the entire torso as part of your core. And usually when we think of core, we tend to think of your midsection where your stomach and lower back is. But the other thing about this is you can't do big compound lifts without training your core. Also, I can't squat without training my core. I can't do an over standing overhead press without training my core. I can't do a push up without training my core. So, as far as core training goes, I take a minimalist approach. What I tend to do is, and usually I only do this to people who have been lifting for a little while because with novice lifters, they get enough from just the main lifts. But with people that have been lifting a little while, I like to focus on exercises that hit aspects of your core that are not hit through your main movements very well. And so examples, um, SK mentioned the Pavlov prep. That's an anti-rotational exercise. Anti-rotational exercises are great because in soccer, you have to resist forces of rotation at times. I would also include exercises such as a wood chopper, which is a rotational exercise. And if you notice, when you do a side volley or anything like that, you are rotating your torso. So that will have direct carryover to sports. I would also on occasion do offsetted load, loaded carries. For example, a suitcase farmer's walk. You guys know what a suitcase farmer's walk is? 
It's where you beat me. It's where, beat me to it. It's it's where you carry a heavy dumbbell in one hand, and you walk. So you're having to stabilize your body with only weight on one side of your body. Things like that, which are not typically done in your regular training, are the only real core exercises I put a lot of emphasis on. Yeah, so I think yeah. like For doing like part, carrying carrying this huge brain around and just make sure my body is staying, <laughs> staying straight is it's a good core exercise. Um, yeah. So I, does make you smarter, by the way, yeah, it improves true. cognitive function. Um, yeah. So I think um, I'm, I'm in alignment with most uh, uh, with pretty much everything that was said here that um, it's uh, it's, lower on the list than, you know, most people put it like first, um, on the list. There's a reason I don't include it for beginners. Um, but sometimes I include it for beginners just because they expect it and they'll be like, this guy has no idea what he's doing if he's not having me train my core. So I'll include it just to get more buy-in. Um, and I'll do things like, you know, uh, pile off press. Um, I like, uh, the suit, um, yeah, suitcase. Which one is that one? Um, um, it's uh, where you have a band attached to a rack and it's pulled against and you're pressing sideways. So you're not actually pressing with the resistance. Mm. The resistance is going to your side. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so uh, I like uh, suitcase carries a lot. I also um, do things like, you know, um, waiters walks. Uh, so, you know, holding the up and walking instead, uh, obviously with a lot lighter load, um, uh, planks, um, are, are good, you know, fairly easy. Uh, so I can include that for beginners, but, um, you know, training your, your agility, your balance, your coordination, these things can be done, you know, without sit-ups, without traditional core exercises. Um, and they're just a lot more beneficial. Um, so, you know, also, sure when we'll are talk- you when are you crunching or sitting up in a soccer? Yeah, game? yeah, maybe, exactly. Maybe maybe goal maybe goalkeepers can say that, but if you're sitting up on a football field, you're on your butt anyways, and you need to get up. But I just wanted to add maybe a controversial topic for a lot of people when it comes to resistance training. In fact, my exercise science professor in college did not like the idea of this. What's your opinion of using weightlifting belts? Um, because this I- this applies to the core. I, uh, so for me, I have, um, I think it's, it probably comes down to, um, personal preference. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to agree or disagree here. If someone wants to wear a weightlifting belt, go for it. Um, if they, um, you know, learning how to, how to brace, um, and, you know, learning that with a belt it can help people learn how to brace sometimes. Um, if you have to brace against something. Um, so, you know, when you take a big breath, um, and you're like, you know, the maneuver. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, uh, you know, you're contracting. It's easier with, I want to see a visual demonstration of the Valsalva maneuver <laughs> from you. <laughs> um, I, uh, that's, my, I that's am not, <laughs> I am not, um, you know, for a long time I trained with a, with a belt, Um, I'm not training with a belt right now just because, um, I'm, uh, I have a little bit less, less time to train and, um, I'm, 
belt feels like a chore? Uh, not really. I'm just, I'm liking how I'm doing my training right now. Um, I'm, I don't know what to say. Like, I, I don't know. I just don't feel the need to wear it right now. I know how to brace. So I'm good on that. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just, it just never goes with my gym outfits, you know, you just need to get nicer belts. Like I have, like I have a hot pink D, powerlifting belt. D, D has a nice belt. My, my belt's I plain. Have a, yeah, um, I have a nice one. But you left your belt here, didn't you? Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't usually wear a belt. Um I don't know. I just prefer so I prefer so I not get, to for the most part. I guess since I brought it up, I should make my points. Um, so I actually agree with Christo that personal preference is the biggest deal, especially for a soccer player. Now, if you're in a powerlifting meet, you're gonna gonna want to lift a belt. However, I do want to make the case for why a good weightlifting belt or I should say powerlifting belt because actually like most belts yeah. are terrible. Like if you go to the regular gym and or a regular sporting goods store and buy a belt, it's probably going to suck. Yeah. But the benefits of like, there's this common misconception and my exercise science professor in college had this misconception. It was like, you don't wear a belt on a field. Why would you wear a belt while you're doing strength training? Well, I don't have a bar on my back when I'm on the field. Either. Yeah, it's not like you're not trying to make things as yeah, specific as possible. You're just trying to get general adaptations. It's, 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 it's really silly, but like the common theory is, is that it will decrease your core activity and strength ability. And this is, according to the research, completely untrue. The belt does not decrease any core adaptations for the most part. But the big pros that I've found is that training with a belt, you can brace harder. And this almost always makes you lift heavier and you can do more weight. And more importantly, this is actually why I would recommend players that do have access to the belts do it, especially on exercises like a squat or a deadlift is they have shown that there is less spine rounding on squats and deadlifts from people that wear belts to people that do not wear belts. And I don't want to alarm people. Spinal rounding is not the end of the world and you're probably not going to get injured from it. However, it can affect recovery. And the point I made before, we want to get as much stimulus for adaptation with as little effect fatigue as possible because we're trying to perform on the pitch so limiting any spinal flexion from the squat by using a belt will be beneficial because you'll be able to get the same stimulus to your quads and glutes without having the fatigue to your lower back and i actually think it's really beneficial especially for people who have been lifting a while and have access to it and it does help with bracing like most people brace better with a belt because it's easier to press out against it than it is to just clinch and get everything tight without a belt. Yeah. Um, I, I think, um, yeah, uh, probably, uh, optimally, um, belt is good. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I don't know. I, uh, I think it should, it, it comes down to the player at the, at the end of the day. And I think, if, um, you know, if you don't like wearing a belt or you don't have access to one, or you just don't want to wear one, um, you can live a, you can live a full, uh, full life, uh, yeah, without, it's without optional. one. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I want to just touch on, uh, 
one more kind of niche thing, and then we can go through some exercises and then we can wrap up. There's so much to talk about with resistance training. We'll probably have to do another episode at some point uh, because I feel like I could keep talking about stuff for like another hour, but uh, I also have a hot take that we have to make before the episode ends. Okay. Um, so one thing I want to bring up really, really quick, um, is uh, variable resistance. So training with things like bands and chains. Um, yes, now West again, side. this is, this is like, uh, again, kind of like the belt thing. Like, um, a lot of players don't have access to stuff like this. Um, and if you don't, don't worry about it. Um, but I have seen some evidence that, um, um, so the, the research that I'm aware of, uh, was done with, uh, you know, uh, training the bench press. Um, and, um, they had some people train, uh, you know, with weights, but, you know, attach bands as well. Um, and other people just did the weights and they trained at similar intensities. Um, and at the end of a couple months, they checked for, uh, strength and they checked for power, uh, strength outputs were, uh, almost identical, uh, no real differences between the two groups power outputs, uh, were higher for the T or the group training with bands, uh, as well as weights. Um, so if you can adding in some band work, um, so obviously this is done, I would say like on compound movements, if you can add stuff like bands and chains to your exercises, um, so that it, um, changes the resistance curve. Yeah. The resistance curve. Um, so, you know, for like for, for a bench, cause this is what I'm talking about. Um, it makes the, you know, the bench harder as you go up. Um, uh, so that the, the hardest part of the bench would be the lockout. Um, if you're using bands, cause obviously that's when the, when the bands are the most stretched, um, that can, uh, that could be something you could add in optimally. Like if I had, um, a perfect gym and I was training high level athletes, I would include bands and chains at some times, probably not every session, but I would include them. And I, I, I will second this. And also like I use chains a lot on squats and also on deadlifts, um, for two reasons. And we'll first start with the most important one. It really looks cool. Like you look so much cooler with a bunch of chains hanging from the bar than you do just plates. And that matters a lot. <laughs> Cause well, looking on it, cool- honestly, yeah. Like, I mean, it, like if a player's like, Oh, I'm you know, doing uh, training with chains, like this is, this is so badass. Yeah, yeah. Like this yeah, is exactly. awesome. Yeah. Like then exactly. Exactly. And I mean, but from a actual, like trying to be more objective, obviously being cool is objective, but from the more sport specific principles, um, what chains and accommodating resistance train is it trains you to press hard throughout the entire movement. We have seen in some lifters when they're doing a movement, once they get past the sticking point, they sometimes ease up and finish, just finish the lift. Well, if I add 80 pounds of chain resistance onto my squat, I can't just ease up after I've got past the sticking point because let's say I have 400 pounds of plate weight and 80 pounds of chains. Well, after I've got past the sticking point, I've added 80 pounds to the squat. So it's now hard again. So I have to train all the way through the movement. And this has for sports specific principles in soccer, a lot of carryover because at the joint angles that we're going to be running and jumping at, that's when the chains or the bands would kick in and really have their most benefit. 
And that's the range of motion that we actually need to apply the most force and power in. So taking it easy there would be counterproductive at times. Now, do I think it will have a huge benefit? You'll see people who don't use bands and chains losing in a 40-yard dash or having a shorter vertical. In most cases, no. Individual differences will be greater than that. However, I do think under optimal settings, I would use at least some chains on squats and deadlift variations. I'm less of a fan of bands, especially on bench press, because the bar path on bench press isn't straight. I'd actually use chains on bench press instead of bands. But I bands have on chains. Some... <laughs> you should. They're they're, they're I much know. cooler. I've, they're much I'm cooler. building my gym, man. I I'm uh, I'm in the process. I'll get there. <laughs> and it's gonna be the best uh but yeah um one uh so yeah uh, you know again like this is this is optimal stuff the most important thing is that you're just training consistently um i i don't know if this maybe this is your your hot take uh something i should have brought up earlier um we talked about how women should be resistance training children should be resistance training um 100 um you know there is no evidence that even as young as like five years old, um, doing like some, you know, like, and like, you're not going to put a barbell on the back of a five-year-old, but they can do like body weight squats and stuff. Like there's like, if you make this stuff fun, it it's great. My niece has a little five pound barbell that she, you know, does, does stuff with, you know, she picks it up and she, like overhead presses it and hops on the bench and those stuffed animals, yeah. those stuffed yeah. animals pick it up. Yeah. yeah. And like this, like two marshmallows. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, we have the, we had the fake uh, or the trade, not the fake weights, the, the training plates that are like two and a half pounds, like big bumpers yeah. to put on them. Um, and this, uh, you know, building a habit of resistance training in kids, super beneficial because it makes them more likely to resistance train when they're older, uh, whether that's for athletics or just for life in general. Resistance training is good for both. Um, and building a habit early on uh, is, is so, so important for kids. And if you actually look at the American pediatric, um, I forget what it's called, something of American uh, pediatrics um, has uh, recommendations for um, resistance training in kids. Um, and the recommendations are that, um, you know, even kids as young as, as young as five should be doing some move like body weight movements um, like that you could, you could qualify as resistance training. And then, you know, at, at nine to 11, uh, they should be, you know, doing things that are semi-structured and then past that they should be doing, you know, other things because the benefits are just undeniable. If you look at the literature, um, in an, in an unbiased way, um, yeah, de kids five years old, aren't going to be deadlifting, you know, tens of pounds, but <laughs> tens of pounds, <laughs> but like, you know, yeah, they, yeah. you know, they can pick if up, I they have can kids, pick be something hundreds. up. Yeah, true. They they can like pick uh they can pick stuff up. There's nothing. Oh, I mean, there's, there's the viral video of the TikTok of the it's little baby picking up right? 
No, it's a medicine ball. I mean, it's like a. I think I saw a kettlebell ball. too. Yeah, I but, saw the I saw the medicine ball. Yeah. But the but the thing about it is, is there's always been this theory that it could stunt your growth or damage your growth plates, and there's absolutely zero evidence to support this theory. This was just basically one of those theories that have just gone down through the years. This is why you shouldn't start strength training, at least until you're in high school, and it turns out that there's just no evidence to support that, but there is a lot of evidence. And this is actually from youth powerlifting and youth weightlifting competitions that kids do it safely and don't get injured. Like there are kids that literally five-year-old kids that are competing in powerlifting competitions, squat, bench press and deadlift, and they come out fine and they love it and they have fun. And I'm going to tell you something they're a lot stronger than all the kids their age because yeah. Yeah. And as I've actually seen a little bit of evidence too, that like training as a kid, um, the, um, the performance benefits you'll get from that are, um, can be like almost unique in some ways. Like you can progress so, so quickly, um, as a, as a kid for, you know, whatever reason, maybe it's just easier to learn, um, these, uh, these movements and stuff. If you start at a, at a young age, but yeah, like, uh, resistance training in kids, um, is, is super important. There's no evidence that it, uh, that it hurts you. Um, and one more thing (laughs) I could go on forever. Um, form, how much does, uh, does form matter when you're doing exercises? Not much. Uh, anyone tell you, telling you that like, you know, if you're not doing this exercise perfectly, you're going to injure yourself or something. There's not really any evidence of that, you know, like, um, Noblet, uh, mentioned like bar path on a bench. So like, obviously you don't want to press up in a, up in a straight line, but like, um, pushing the bar a little bit back towards your face as you push off is optimal for, yeah, is optimal for strength. But if you don't like, if you did end up pushing in a straight line, it's not like it's, uh, it's going to like injure and, you or something. And, for and you. more yeah. importantly, the lifting with a rounded back is probably not going to injure. In fact, your back is yes. always slightly rounded. And that's probably the one we're really going to worry about is people, especially on exercises like the deadlift. It's mostly deadlift that gets blamed for this is they'll see people with any rounding whatsoever is, Oh my gosh, you're going to go to snap city for this. And it's like, that's just not true. Now, do I think form matters? Yes, but not for the reasons that people think. I think form matters primarily to make sure that you're actually getting the adaptations for the goal you want Yep. and for maximizing strength and leverages. And if you have a super rounded back in your deadlift, you're probably not going to deadlift as much as if you didn't have a rounded back. Now there are exceptions to this. Some world record deadlifters have a very rounded back, but we can get into that on a different day. And yeah. also from a recovery perspective, um, if you're rounding your back on a lot of deadlifts, that means you, your spinal erectors are going to be doing a lot of the work. And this actually also goes to the specific thing you want to train. Cause if I'm deadlifting, I want my hamstrings and glutes doing more of the work than my spinal erectors but we don't want our lower backs being sore as can be all the time, especially as a soccer player, because a sore back can be really hard to play on. And if your back is super rounded every single time you do deadlifts, you're more likely to have a sore back where if you can keep it at least closer to being in a neutral position, 
you might limit some of that fatigue, but you're also not going to hurt yourself. Yeah. Like resistance training, like people are afraid that, Oh, if I don't train perfectly, I'm going to injure myself. That's not going to happen. Obviously, optimally, you know, you'll be doing, you'll be squatting to depth or, you know, some sort of depth. We should stop. We should talk about depth actually, because that's actually a controversial topic and for sports. Yeah. Um, I, um, I, I like, I do, um, I think like, uh, obviously there's some evidence that, you know, doing like, uh, quarter squats will help your vertical jump more than going deep. Um, I still like when I'm training beginners, I'll do, uh, you know, deep squats depend, like what, what do they, um, what do they, uh, if, if they can't go to parallel comfortably or something, obviously that's something to work on. Um, but, uh, I think, um, I'll start with that stuff and I'll, you, I'll, I can add in stuff like quarter squats, um, kind of later on. I usually don't start with that though. No, I, I agree. Um, and I actually brought up the point. Um, are you familiar with the, he's more basketball oriented, but Dr. Ross Greenfield on TikTok? Yeah, I think so. I think um, we had, I me, agree with most and, of his stuff. I think yeah, we had a disagreement no, on no. something though. It was probably squat depth um, because that's my one big disagreement with him because I agree with him on everything. And he he goes the opposite direction. He thinks that partial range of motion should be the main movement for athletes and full range of motion is supplementary. And I do it from the opposite approach. And I think you and I are the same way. And my point for this is I do think a full range of motion of squat now I will say a full range of motion squat for a soccer player is different than a Olympic weightlifter or a powerlifter necessarily. And only on a powerlifting meet is there actual rule on squat depth, which is top of the thigh at the hip joint must pass below the knee. For soccer players, I mostly want them squatting as low as they can comfortably while before their butt tucks under at the bottom, what's called a butt wink. I want them to stop before that happens or at least to a significant degree, a little bit of bunt wink is not a problem, but just before that happens, because that might cause lower back fatigue and then come up for most people, this is going to be below parallel. Some people, this will be slightly above parallel. And this also depends on how far forward your knees travel, but the vast majority of people, I would start out doing the full range of motion they're capable of. If they can't get anywhere near parallel, we're going to probably focus on mobility before we even get to adding weight on the bar but yeah i would do it as supplementary in the and unfortunately i don't know if there's much research on carryover for this for sprinting and vertical jump but there is research on this for your one rep max squats they have found that full range of motion squats will increase your quarter squat but not as much as quarter squats will increase your quarter squat but they have found that quarter squats will not increase your full range of motion and squat very much. And the fact of the matter is, is for general physical preparedness or GPP as Dimitri, the exercise scientist calls it, <laughs> right. you need to be stronger in those greater range of motions too. You can't just be strong in the sport specific range of motion at all times. While it might be rare for me to be in a deep squatted position or an equivalent joint of a deep squatted position in a soccer match. I don't think I would never say it never happens. 
And I can at least think of one or two examples of it happening, and that would be goalkeepers getting off the ground after diving. My first step as a goalkeeper standing up and on the ground diving, my knee angle is almost completely closed. So I am pressing almost from the equivalent of a full squat position. Yeah, I think um, a huge thing to say is that, uh, and I've said this before, but you're in the gym to uh, for general adaptations, not specific adaptations. You're trying to get generally strong, generally powerful, and then you put those things on the field. You're not trying to get strong in very, very specific situations uh, and then go on the field and do that. Um, you get generally strong, generally powerful in the gym, and then you can do like, you know, plyometric exercises and play to kind of for the sports specific stuff. Um, I think, um, <laughs> I think we're going to have to do a part two, um, at some so we'll point to get, <laughs> yeah, we'll end, we'll end with your hot take. Um, and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up there and we'll do a part two where we talk about, um, about more resistance training stuff. Cause it is a huge topic. Okay. So do you guys know who the player Akin Fenwa is? Oh, spin wheel. Yeah. Akin Fen- like SK, you guys all know him. So Akin Fenwa is sometimes called the strongest footballer in the world. And he's Oh no, all- this guy, right. Okay. The huge, and huge he's guy from yeah. Wimbledon. Yeah. And he's always had the highest strength rating in all the FIFA video games. And so my hot take is, I don't think he's the strongest footballer in the world. Yeah, I, I agree think, with that. I don't think he ever has been the strongest footballer in the world. And I'll take it this far. I think I would beat him in a three-lift powerlifting meet, squat, bench, press, and deadlift. I think I could actually beat him. And I'm definitely not the strongest footballer in the world either. And I <laughs> think that... This reputation. Dimitri would beat both of you, though. So <laughs> I think this. Well, maybe Easily. he's you're the just you're just playing. You're just playing for second. But but mm. the but I think the reputation is largely built on his FIFA rating and his appearance. But I've actually watched some of his workout videos, and he, with the exception of bench press, which he doesn't even touch his chest on his bench press. So, in my opinion, it doesn't even count. But the his lifts are not actually impressive and I've never actually seen him do a squat or a deadlift. I've only seen him doing mainly bodybuilder style, upper body exercises and very, very little lower body exercises. So I actually think that there are probably several players in the top leagues in Europe in particular, who in the lifts that I think matter, such as the squat bench overhead press or deadlift, or also the Olympic lifts too, for that matter. I think there's a lot of guys who could beat him who would actually would demonstrate yeah. greater strength than he can. And that includes me. So Akin Fenwa, <laughs> if you watch our podcast, meet me on the platform. I want to, I want to have a powerlifting meet for you and we'll settle it. I want to, I want to see this. <laughs> it, it'll be for second place to Dimitri as the strongest footballer in the world. Yeah, exactly. Dimitri doesn't, I won't even, I won't I, embarrass you. I by should, like, you'll be, you'll be the, you'll you. be the head judge. You'll be the head judge. Actually, actually I saw, um, Zlatan posted a picture on, uh, on Facebook and it was like, um, when they had the cheetah race, uh, racing dogs, um, to see like how much faster the cheetah was than the, than the racing dogs. And there's this photo of the cheetah just sitting like it didn't run and all the dogs are already running. Um, I think this was Zlatan. I could be wrong. And it was, um, uh, and they like asked someone, Oh, what, what, like what happened? It's like, I guess, um, it was, uh, insulting 
to the cheetah to have to prove that he was better than, than all these racing dogs. Um, you know, don't, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a very Zlatan, uh, esque, uh, post, it, but it I thought it was pretty funny. So that that's Dimitri. Yeah. So that they're stronger to, than sheep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So that that's uh that's Dimitri. Uh Dimitri's the lion, uh Akinfewa and and uh Noblet are are the sheep. But at least you know Noblet is the stronger of the two sheep. Um <laughs> so I think what we'll do is maybe we'll go more on specific things next week. So we'll talk about specific exercises, specific plans, how we do that all out, because I think that uh is something that players want. Uh here we talked a little bit more generally, but at least if you've listened to this podcast, you'll know kind of the principles and how to apply them when we talk about the specifics um, next week. Uh, yeah, I feel like I could go on forever talking about this topic, but um, I do think we should we should wrap it up there because we've been going for a while. Um, and my I got, my, I water, got the, my water bottle I got is the empty gym as well. To go to. Yeah, um, so water bottle's empty. Um, any final thoughts, or are we good to uh, good to wrap it up? Uh, I, I got think we're squat, good. bench press and single leg um, dumbbell Romanian deadlift to do. So, all right, sweet. I'll catch you on the other side. All right. Well, uh, we'll be back next week. Um, uh, quickly going to shout out. Um, I upload the uh, podcast to my Patreon first. So you get, um, get it two days early. If you sub to me on Patreon. Um, and then obviously um, when I, when I post it, um, I'll uh, tag Dimitri's Instagram, SK's TikTok, my TikTok, and uh, Noblest TikTok. You should be following all of us. If you're not, what are you doing? Come on, wake up. Um, best podcast on the internet, and we're only two episodes in. So, you know, uh, get uh, start, start watching before it's cool. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's about it. Peace. Later. All right. Everyone, always a pleasure. Go <laughs>